Well, good morning. It is wonderful to see you all here this morning. And of course, it's wonderful that I know there are people out there in cyberspace that are looking at me and I'm imagining who they are. And welcome to those online. The title of my sermon this morning, as you can see from your sermon notes, is Precious is the Blood. I want to declare at the onset that the purpose and the goal of this sermon is to increase our awareness of who Jesus is and what he did. We have to acknowledge at least four principles in this sermon. First, salvation is from the Lord. And God has been consistent, always the blood. That was his choice. And number two, the blood displayed the extent of the sacrifice, the price that was paid for our sins. And third, it provides a clear path before the world to know that it is only the blood that justifies us before God. And fourth, it sets the records clear of just how precious is the blood of Jesus Christ. So our text this morning comes from 1 John 1, 7. Pray with me as I recall Psalm 1914, as I generally do. And so, dear Lord, this morning, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Amen. I'll begin, a, I'll begin this with the story of Billy Graham and Dwight L. Moody. I'm sure I've shared this before. I don't remember when, but, I, it's, but the story seems to fit in here as well. And so the greatest evangelist of the 20th century, without question, was Billy Graham. And before that, the greatest evangelist of the 19th century, undoubtedly, was Dwight L. Moody. And they both shared a common trait. They were criticized because of a particular subject that they preached about. And when Billy Graham was getting started, a professor from Cornell University wrote him a letter and said this, Mr. Graham, you have a great talent and you have what it takes to be a successful minister. But if you want to continue to be successful, you're going to have to leave out the preaching on the blood. It's out of date. And no enlightened man of the 20th century will swallow it. When Dwight L. Moody started preaching, a woman wrote him a letter and said this, Brother Moody, if you want to be effective, you're going to have to leave out that blood stuff. And like Dr. Graham after him, Dwight L. Moody said this, I determined at that moment to preach more on the blood of Jesus Christ than ever before. Well, this story should sound familiar to many of you, but, you know, I remember that when I was a law student, I had an extremely liberal professor who often went off topic and ended up talking about religion. And he said this, I'm sick and tired of this slaughterhouse religion. And we need to get it out of our pulpits and out of our churches as quickly as possible. Well, part of me agreed with him, the unsaved part. 
Well, Dr. Aaron will tell you that medically, when you take the blood out of the body, the body dies. And may I tell you that is also true of the body of Christ. When you take the blood out of the body, the body dies. You know, we're not only a people of the book. We are people of the blood. The Bible is not only a blessed book, it is a blood book. The word blood appears 415 times in the Bible. And the Bible begins with blood in Genesis when Cain sheds the blood of his brother Abel. And it ends with blood in the book of the Revelation, 1913, when the Lord Jesus returns wearing a robe dipped in blood. There is a scarlet thread that binds every page of this book. And the reason that is, is that it is all the Bible that can be summarized in this half of one verse that we're going to study this morning. And that is our text, the last part of 1 John 1.7, which states, The blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. Listen. The only spiritual detergent that can remain, remove the sin of the stain of sin from the human soul is the blood of Jesus Christ. And whether you're a Christian or not, I want you to understand why this is true. And so first in your outline, consider that the blood comes from a supernatural person. The verse tells us of the blood of Jesus Christ, his son. This is not ordinary blood. There is no other blood like it. The blood that flowed in the veins of Jesus Christ was the perfect, sinless blood of God, the Son. And one of the most incredible verses in the Bible is Acts 20, 28. Here's what it says. Therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. The blood that was shed on the cross was the blood of God. Now this is crucial to understand because if it was God's blood, it had to be innocent. Judah said of Jesus in Matthew 27, 4, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. Jesus Christ is the only person ever born truly and totally innocent. Every other person ever born is born with a sinful nature flowing through his veins, but not the Lord Jesus. When Jesus died on the cross, he was innocent. He was not guilty of one sin and not guilty of one crime. Now it is possible for a person to be innocent of a crime but guilty of sin. For example... It's not a crime to gossip, but it's a sin. It's not a crime to perform fornication, but it's a sin. You can be guilty of one, but not guilty of the other. Well, Jesus Christ was innocent of both. And when Jesus was dying on the cross, he said in Luke 23, 24, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now, Jesus never one time even prayed this simple little prayer, Father, forgive me. The reason he didn't have to is because he never did anything he had to be forgiven for. Hebrews 4.15 tells us, 
For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21 also says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Now, if Jesus had not been innocent, he could not have taken my guilt because he would have had to have dealt with his own. And the reason he could die for my sin is because he did not have any sin of his own to die for. And Peter said in his epistle, 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. You know, the word precious literally means valuable. Now, the value of something is determined by several things. I was taught when I took economics that one of the things that determines value is supply and demand. But another thing that determines value is rarity. You know, some time ago, I forget when, I was walking in the Warwick Mall And I turned into a little shop that had some antiques and memorabilia in it. And there on the wall in a frame was a letter written by Mark Twain. And it only had a few words in it and his signature. But that letter was valued at $45,000. Why? Because a letter by Mark Twain is extremely rare. Well, the blood of Jesus Christ is the only blood of its kind in the history of the entire world because only his blood was innocent. Now, incidentally, Jesus did not only have to die, he also had to shed his blood. The fact of his death cannot be separated from the form of his death. And this same professor I had in law school also once said, Jesus Christ could have fallen down a hill and have broken his neck and would have accomplished the same thing that he accomplished on the cross of Calvary. Well, that is not only heresy, it is downright blasphemy. For the Bible says in Hebrews 9.22, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. Now, gold, as you know, is one is one of our most precious metals. And for years and years, the solution was sought that would liquefy this precious metal so it could be mined, extracted, and sold. And finally, after years of experimentation, a solution of nitric acid and hydrochloric acid was concocted and put to the test of liquefying this precious metal. And it was discovered that this one solution could liquefy gold so that it could be taken from any ore. And this combination of acids was known as aqua regia, or royal water, because for years it was believed to be the only solution that could remove gold completely from any ore. Well, there is only one thing that will remove the stain of sin from the human heart, The spiritual solution to sin's pollution in the soul is the blood of Jesus Christ, and that is because it comes from a supernatural person. 
Second on your outline, consider that the blood cleanses with supernatural power. Our verse goes on to say, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us. Now it is extremely important to see that the verse does not say the blood of Jesus Christ has cleansed us or will cleanse us. It says specifically, it cleanses us. That verb is in the present tense. What it literally is saying is the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us and will keep on cleansing us. It cleanses us. It cleanses us today. It cleanses us tomorrow. Every day that you need to be cleansed, the blood is available to do the job. You know, so often after someone gets saved, the first question they ask is, Does this mean I will never sin again? Or what happens now when I sin? Well, let me give you some bad news and some good news. If you get saved today, there is a strong chance you're going to sin tomorrow. But now let me give you the good news. You get saved today and tomorrow you lose your temper. Just remember, the blood of Jesus cleanses us. You get saved today, and a bad word slips through your mouth, and you just have to remember the blood of Jesus cleanses us. You get saved today, you think impure thoughts tomorrow, just remember the blood of Jesus cleanses us. The blood of Jesus can cleanse any sin. Now, if you ever do any grocery shopping, and my wife's not here, she was at the first service, so so I can... May pretend that I shop. When you go to the grocery store, you buy, uh, you look at certain products like milk. They say things like use by, and then they have a certain date. Now, the reason, reason for that is if you don't use it by that date, it will either lose its potency or its effectiveness. Or if, if it's like milk, it could get sour. And if you drink it, it could be bad for you. Well, I think we have to know that the blood of Jesus never loses its power. It is just as effective in washing the dirt of depravity away today as it was 2,000 years ago. But let me give you a caution. The only person who ever gets clean is the person who admits he's dirty. I have found far too many people who just don't understand either that they are dirty because of sin or just how dirty they are. They're like a little boy I heard about who hated to take a bath, just despised soap and water. And one day his mother, trying desperately to approach the subject from a more successful angle, said, Son, you do want to be a nice, clean little boy, don't you? Her little boy said, Yes, ma'am. But mama, can't you just sort of dust me off? Well, our hands are dirty because of the deeds we do. Our hearts are dirty because of the desires we have. Our heads are dirty because of the deliberations we consider and the thoughts that pass through our mind. If you want God to forgive you, you must allow God to cleanse you. See, I believe that God does not forgive without cleansing. Let me tell you a difference between God and us when it comes to sin. When God sees sin, he wants to cleanse it. When we see sin, 
We want to cover it. When God forgives sin, he wants to cleanse us. Just imagine a little boy dressed up on his, in his Sunday best, clothes to go to church. And when his mother's not looking, he goes outside and he rolls around in the mud. He comes in. His mother scolds him, threatens to spank him, and he begins to cry. He says, Mommy, I'm sorry. Forgive me. The mom says, All right, get out of those clothes and go take a bath. Now suppose the little boy just stands there. The mother repeats her instructions and he ignores it. And finally he looks at his mother and he says, I don't want to take a bath. I like this mud. What that little boy wants is to be forgiven, but he doesn't want to be cleansed. He wants to be forgiven because he doesn't want to be punished, but he wants to keep the mud. And sometimes we try to bargain with God in the same way. We ask God to forgive us so he won't punish us, but we want to keep the sin. You can have the forgiveness or you can have the filth, but you cannot have both. And I was reading about how a sailor is designated as the officer of the deck. That means he has to watch late at night. He would have to stay awake for a designated period of time, usually four hours, and he's got to keep a watch out to ensure that there's nothing wrong with the ship. The officer of the deck usually stands on the bridge where the ship is controlled and is steered. And at night, there are no white lights allowed on the bridge because they hinder the ability to look out and see other ships that may be obstacles to the safety of this ship. So all the lights and flashlights have a red filter over the lens, maximizing night vision. When these officers would receive messages or documents, they could read every one as long as it was not written in red ink. Because if the document was written in red ink, the red light would blend the ink with the ink of the pen, and you couldn't see what was on the paper. When we receive Jesus Christ, God puts a red filter over the lens of his eyes when he looks down on your life. For all your sins are completely gone. He cannot see them through the filter of the blood of his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Third, in your outline, consider the blood completes a supernatural purpose. The last part of this verse says, The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now please hear this last phrase. With God, a person who is partially clean is totally dirty. Would you let your dog into your house if he only had two of his paws muddy? Of course not. God will not let anyone into his heaven unless they have been cleansed from all of their sins. You see, the shed blood of Jesus Christ is not like STP. It's not an additive that you can give to your heart that gives it that racer's edge. The blood of Jesus is not something that you can add to your religion or add to your ritual or add to your righteousness to cleanse you. His blood alone cleanses from all sin. Now, so many people have the idea that salvation is on the installment plan. When you go buy a house, you make a down payment. 
And then after you make the down payment, you then begin to make monthly installments. There are some people, some religions who have this idea that when Jesus Christ shed his blood, he made the down payment for our sins. And then we have to make the installments by going to church, keeping the Ten Commandments, being religious, doing good. Well, I've got some news for you. When Jesus shed his blood on the cross, he paid off the entire mortgage. And just before Jesus breathed his last on the cross, he said in John 19.30, it is finished. Those three words in the English language are one word in the Greek language, and it literally means paid in full. Martin Luther the leader of the Protestant Reformation in the 16th or 17th century, he had a dream. In fact, I guess you might want to call it a nightmare. He didn't know what it was, but in the middle of the night, he saw standing at the foot of his bed a figure that he believed to be the devil himself. The devil had a scroll, and on that scroll were the sins that Martin Luther had committed. The scroll was accurate, It was true. The devil was reading them one after another and pointing a fiery, bony finger into the face of Martin Luther and condemning him and accusing him and saying, what hope of heaven do you have as a miserable sinner? And Martin Luther said that he thought his very soul was slipping down into hell. But then the Lord spoke to Martin Luther and said, Martin Tell him to unroll the scroll all the way down. Martin Luther then said to the devil, unroll the scroll. He refused. Martin Luther then said, unroll the scroll in the name of Jesus. The devil did unroll it. And there printed at the bottom of all of the sins Martin Luther had ever committed were these words written The entire sin account of Martin Luther has been paid in full by the blood of Jesus Christ. A dream? Perhaps. But a true message, nonetheless. Now the highest holiday of the Jewish faith is Passover. It celebrates both the exodus of the people of Israel from Egypt, but also celebrates that night when God's death angel passed through Egypt and slaughtered every firstborn of every household that did not have the blood of the lamb painted over the doorpost. God had made a promise. God had made a promise to his people, and he said, you paint the blood of a lamb over your doorpost, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. What if God had seen tears in that household? But no blood. Death would have come. What if God had seen remorse in that household, but no blood? Death would have come. What if God had seen religion in that household, but no blood? Death would have come. What if God had seen faith in that household, but no blood? Death would have come. Listen, the point I'm making is this. If there was any other way to be saved, any other way to be cleansed, 
any other way to be forgiven, any other way to be accepted, then Jesus would not have died nor shed one drop of his blood. But that he did die and that he did shed his blood tells us that only his blood can cleanse us from all sin. I'll close with this story. I read a true story of a party of six people who began a dangerous descent from a peak in the Swiss Alps. The first man in line lost his foothold and slipped over an icy ledge. And the next two men slid after him while the experienced climbers above braced themselves and stood firm to bear the shock. They thought without any question or doubt, that they would simply hold and all these men would be saved by the rope that they were connected to. But when the rope ran its length, the cord snapped in two. The climbers watched in horror as their friends scrambled hopelessly to stop their slide over the slick precipice. Within seconds, the three men fell, screaming to their deaths 4,000 feet below. For a half an hour... The other three climbers were frozen in silence and fear, unable to move. And finally, they began their slow, painstaking descent down the mountain. Hours later, they arrived safely, eager to find answers. Why had the rope broken? They had been told that true Alpine Club rope would never break, and that was true. The survivors were shocked. When on close examination, it revealed the rope they had had was not true Alpine Club rope. It was a poor, cheap, fatal substitute. How did they know it was not true Alpine Club rope that professional climbers use? Because true Alpine Club quality rope has a red strand running through it, but this rope did not. I don't know what your rope of hope is that you're holding on to, counting on it to take you to heaven. But I can tell you what my rope of hope is. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. Because nothing but the blood can save me. Service is over. And as you go back into your daily lives, remember what blessings the blood of Jesus has given us. We can believe. We can trust in Jesus for salvation because he shed his blood. The precious blood of God was shed for each of us. Amen? I'll see you next week.